Welcome to Books at Work, the best and most useful bits of business books. I'm Anna Hughes and my professional purpose is to help people love their work. For me, this episode is a partner one to trust our last book. And congratulations, Sarah Stewart-Black, for winning a copy of Trust. Now, I know Melanie, the author of Trust, was keen for CEOs to proudly have her book on their coffee table. So I hope, Sarah, Norm, you can do that for her. Having empathy for another person does not require you to fix their problem. It just requires you to be there. That's the voice of Harold Hillman, author of Empathy, The Human Side of Leadership. Anyone who knows me will know how much I believe this matters to leaders, leadership, teams and organisations today. I truly hope we can build more people-centred leaders and organisations and empathy has to be a big part of this. On to our speed read, a bit about Harold. He's had senior exec roles with Fonterra, Prudential Financial and Amoco Corporation. He coaches business leaders and exec teams to inspire them and others towards greater possibilities. The first thing that struck me with this book was The Forward by Dame Fran Wilde, which sums up with her saying, this book is a vital guide that will really help leaders to analyse and change their own behaviour and impact positively on the culture of their organisations. What exactly is empathy? Rewind 24 centuries and it was Aristotle who advocated that empathy could be a powerful arrow in your leadership bow. The premise was that humans are emotional creatures with an inherent capability and capacity to feel empathy. So he coached leaders on how to persuade an audience by appealing to their natural emotions. The essence of empathy is about connection through caring and it's underpinned by biology. Our ability to respond to emotions is innate. We're actually wired to be empathetic. The working definition of empathy? It's a blended set of natural and learned skills, core to emotional intelligence, or EQ. It's the need to care about and connect to people emotionally. It's the experience of walking in another person's shoes, and it's about support that comes from a genuine place of understanding, care, and a desire to help. That's all well and good, but why does empathy matter in leaders, leadership, and organisations? What's the business case for empathy? Employers must work harder to attract and retain talented people, particularly those aged under 35, who on average spend around three years in a company. There's a very strong correlation between empathetic work cultures and tangible business outcomes, particularly with retention and engagement. 90% of employees in large and small businesses are more likely to stay on with an empathetic employer. So that's retention, engagement and business outcomes. So what about something like change? As change becomes more normal in organisations, empathy has a huge role to play. We can go through the change process with the emphasis on the process, which does very little to invigorate energy or ownership for the path you're on. When you listen to your team because the change process requires you to, the end result is typically a fair degree of cynicism. When you listen to your team with the intent to learn, understand and incorporate the best ideas from them, the end result is a team with a strong sense of connection and ownership. When people are truly connected, empathy is the energy that holds them together. 
A 2018 Harvard Business Review study showed empathetic organisations outperform their callous counterparts by 20%. When people feel understood, they're receptive to others' concerns, and team cohesion and collaboration follows. The Consortium for Research on Emotional Intelligence in Organisations has reported a correlation between empathy and increased sales, higher performing managers of product development teams, and increased performance in highly diverse teams. It showed that empathy improves leadership ability and facilitates communication and feedback, and the ability to understand and navigate problems that employees face. It also validates what their employees are going through and anticipates the needs of the team. Harold Hillman argues that with the world changing, including with COVID, the question that should be asked of business right now is, can you really afford to not invest in building an empathetic workplace? We'll talk to Harold about head, heart and hands in a moment, but this is a key to building empathy. It's about understanding, feeling and doing. So welcome, Harold, from lockdown in Auckland. Uh, so giving a bit of a tip there, but where in the world are you and what's the view out your window? I am in the central business district, what we call the CBD here in Auckland. And I am on the 21st floor of the Stamford Residences, which is an apartment complex that sits on top of the Stamford Hotel right in the middle of the CBD, which interestingly enough is an MIQ site. And um, so it's been um, intriguing over the last um, uh, many months as we, were, as we continue to work our way through the pandemic that every time I walk into my building, I, as I'm going up on the lift, I stare over at the hotel to see people walking around in small circles um, trying to get a little bit of exercise and um, uh, it, uh, trying to have a bit of empathy for what it would be like to um, spend 14 days in that scenario. And, um, and, and now I look down on the city and there's no one down there. It, 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 it really reminds me of being in, in New York, in Manhattan on 9-11, when Times Square was completely empty. And it brings back I find it 20 years later, it brings back those same feelings of this not being natural. So that's a bit of a reality check for us as we have this conversation. Um, so Keen Harold, before we get into the practical stuff from the book, I was curious to understand what, why you wrote this book and what, what kind of drove that? I work a lot when I'm working with my clients, I focus on the essence of human connection. And that is to be an effective leader, you really have to understand connection and what it means to influence people. For you to be able to get people to connect with you, to really connect with you emotively around what you believe in, you have to appeal to them on three fronts, authenticity, logic, and then empathy. And so I felt it was time, particularly as I started writing the book, uh, and I started writing the book at the, just a month before COVID um, hit, no one knew what COVID was. And ironically, I was worried about whether or not I would be able to bring this construct called empathy alive. And then here we end up in a global pandemic and the book and the topic 
uh, uh, became very real, very tangible. Some people might say that empathy is a soft skill, kind of disparagingly so. Um, keen to kind of understand your perspective on that and also whether you either have empathy or you don't. Can it be learnt or are there just some leaders who who are empathetic? Sorry, there's a bunch of questions in there. Um, yeah, no, but it all, it, it all travels along that theme of, of um, a shift in paradigm from when I first started working in the um, in the corporate world. At, I'm 66 years old, so I've lived enough life to have seen a tangible shift from uh, managing people to actually leading people. And those are two different paradigms. Managing people a lot of times is associated more with what we call IQ, intellectual quotient. So back in the day, back in the 70s, back in the 80s, into the 90s, um, uh, uh, managers were promoted in organizations based on their book smarts, their IQ, their ability to reason, um, their ability to analyze data, um, their ability to put a good presentation together with charts and graphs and numbers and those types of things. That was, um, people were then promoted into senior leadership roles based on what they did, very highly associated with IQ or book smarts. And then it was really, it was in 1995, Anna, when a, an author by the name of Daniel Goleman wrote a book called Emotional Intelligence. And the premise behind that book was that in two decades, uh, which is now, uh, he, he, he predicted that emotional intelligence would play just as important a role as IQ. EQ would be more important, if not uh, well, uh, as important, if not more important than IQ in determining a person's success in leadership and in life. And I think the last two years have certainly brought that to light. So I'm keen to explore the practical things to help people understand what empathy is and how to build it. You say in the book that there are, are three dimensions that culminate in empathy, head, heart, and action. So can we explore each of those um, just briefly around what those things are and what it looks like? So maybe if we could start with head or what you call, I think, cognitive empathy. Cognitive empathy, that's right. The um, I call it the power of three. And that is if you're trying to understand empathy, you can look at it along three lines there. And the first one is cognitive empathy. And that is your willingness to sit across the table um, from another person where you may be disagreeing on a particular topic. You may have different points of view. And often when we get in that type of a conversation, it feels more like a ping pong match or a tennis match where um, you advocate a position, then I advocate a position, then you advocate, and it's back and forth, back and forth until 10 minutes later, we agree to disagree. And um, in, that, uh, in that type of a conversation, empathy is not apparent at all. Um, there is a mindset that one or the other has to win as opposed to let me just sit back and really make an 
honest effort to understand where you are coming from. And that is um, uh, a big part of listening to understand another person. You may not agree with them. You may not agree with where they land in terms of the decision that they're going to make, but you can track their thinking and you can say to yourself, that sounds reasonable in terms of, of, of moving down that path. Very often when we sit with another person and we're listening to them, um, they feel judged or imagine yourself on the other side of a, 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 you know, sitting across from a person where you both have different points of view. And you can sometimes tell that a person is not really trying to understand where you're coming from. They're looking for holes in your logic. They're looking for flaws in your thinking. They're looking for any opportunity to jump on your logic um, and to prove you wrong. And so cognitive empathy is just trying to understand what a person may be going through. In the book, I, I, I give the example of Daryl Kelly, who was a black musician in the States. He delivered a TED talk. I believe it was in 2015. And in that TED talk, he talked about how he befriended a, an entire chapter of Ku Klux Klan members down in Louisiana because he showed up. He continued to show up at their meetings because he just wanted to understand. He wasn't there to judge them. He wasn't there to berate them. He wasn't there to shout at them and take their heads off. He actually sat and, and tried to get a perspective on where they were coming from. And in that process, uh, ultimately, across the, 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 the next couple of years, over 100 of those Ku Klux Klan members actually resigned their membership. And um, as a result of this guy, this black guy, who just really just wanted to understand where they were coming from. So that's cognitive empathy in the first instance is suspend judgment be fully present with another person. Um, just make an effort to hear them. It makes such a difference in connection if a person perceives that even if you don't agree with them ultimately, that you actually um, made an effort. You did, it didn't feel like they were being judged. It just felt like you could understand how they landed on that point, even if it was different than the way you ultimately decided to vote. I think um, your example there is pretty powerful because if he can do that, then we can do that in meetings oh, <laughs> and with our peers. Absolutely. Like, yeah. Um, let go of that ego and and absolutely. Yeah, yeah. That's really yeah. quite a. Um, oh, I don't know. It's a. It's quite a leveling example, so thank it, you for that. Look, it's, it's, it is extreme, but it is gripping because by virtue of him sitting there, going to their meetings to just sit and listen and understand, he began to eradicate their mental models on black people. Uh, they thought he was going to come at them viciously or, you know, just, and, and here he was. And they, all of a sudden, their hearts warmed. <laughs> to the point that him just making the effort to understand where they were coming from uh, caused a, over over a hundred of them um, resigned their membership in the Klan. It was a powerful example of cognitive empathy. So you talked about warm hearts there. Uh, so right. does that take us to our second leg of the three, the emotional empathy, the heart? 
Yeah, emotional empathy, that's a bit deeper connection. Not only can you understand where another person may be coming from, but you, um, you've been there yourself. You've walked in their shoes. You've lost a job. You've been made redundant. You've lost a child. You have, um, you have been, um, you have traveled abroad and land in a different nation and all of a sudden feel very lonely and very vulnerable, that type of thing. It does help. Uh, emotional empathy means that um, the person can feel a more visceral connection with you. They, they can tell that you absolutely know it. And it does make a difference sometimes when you are listening to another person that they absolutely know that you know what they're going through. Um, and it is very comforting often for that. There is a, um, there is a warning that comes along with emotional empathy. And as a clinical psychologist, we used to call this counter-transference when a therapist would all of a sudden take on the pain, start to wear the pain of the patient. Um, and it, it's um, called emotional contagion in the non-clinical world. And that is just be mindful that um, to feel another person's pain with them does not require you to wear it. Mm. Um, and that being there is the most important component of it. It is more connecting because they really know that you understand. They don't even have to explain it. You've been there before. But um, encourage them, particularly if you're a leader and you're, um, if you're helping someone work their way through a scenario, don't wear their pain to the point where all of a sudden you're the one out there doing all the fixing and um and 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 next steps and those types of things you want to empower people who are in that seat um to do many of the same things that you did when you were in that seat but you want to um suggest as opposed to taking the lead be an encourager as opposed to a doer in that space i mentioned that anna only because i i, I want to convey that empathy does not require you to fix. Having empathy for another person does not require you to fix their problem. It just requires you to be there. It just requires you to be fully present, be fully focused. That's the power of empathy, where another person just feels, oh, you know, I'm not going crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so so what's the if you're not fixing what's the action piece of the head heart action what's what's that bit um well that is that component of compassionate empathy the, the third component we call it head heart and hands or action and sometimes you will i mean you, it, it's certainly over this COVID scenario um leaders have had to make quick decisions on people who are working through a number of different um, challenging scenarios where you might walk up to someone and say, hey, go home for the afternoon. I know that you that, that your parent is there not feeling well. Your kids are, are um, home from school. You go home. I think you can be more productive there. It may be something as simple as, as that um, or just making a gesture that you believe would make a difference in the quality of the life for this person as they're working through a scenario. Taking action is actually sitting down with another person, 
turning off your mobile, um, uh, bringing your presence in with them. And just even if it's for a 10 minute conversation, it is an act of compassion very often just to make space for another person without them looking in your eyes, knowing that you're already at your next meeting or that you're still at the one you just came from. You're there sitting across from them. They are pouring their heart out to you and you glance down at your watch or your mobile dings and those types of things. And so very often compassion is, let me just sit with you. Let me just, let me, let me, let me cancel this next, this next call. I can do that sometime next week. Let me, let me cancel this next call. Let's, let's go for a coffee. That's, that's, that's action in that sense of compassion and empathy. That is so beautiful. I really hope that uh, some people who are listening will try that. Uh, yeah, so that's a really lovely couple of practical tips for people. So thank you for that. Um, so on that kind of line of practical advice and tips, I wanted to explore uh, the whole listening thing a bit more. And um, you've got some tips in the book about how we can learn to listen better. Maybe we start with, you talk about passive and active listening, which lots of people will have heard, but what's your kind of view of, of passive and active listening and what the difference is? We do it. We do it all the time. We are, uh, most of us are expert at passive listening, um, uh, where we're sitting in the room. Typically, especially if you are coming home from work, and you have had a lot on that day, and you are now sitting in the living room with your partner, your kids, um, or family members, and they're talking, uh, and you may be nodding, you may be saying, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh, <laughs> thing, but you're not there, you're not there. It is pa passive listening is taking for granted that if your uh, if your words are hitting the 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 neurons in my inner ear, um, causing me to hear you talk, that that must be um, that must be listening. That's more like hearing the ability to hear. Listening is a listening is a capability. It can be developed, uh, and we take it for granted. It's one of the it's it's neuronal in the sense that it's in a, a part of how we make reason and how we make meaning. But in the book, I also convey that active listening is a, a, a powerful way to show empathy for another person. And that, but especially in this busy, crazy world that we live in, open space in working environments, lots of interruptions, lots of distractions, technology coming at us all around us, just it's, um, we 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 um, need to hone in on this skill as one uh, that makes a huge difference in personal connection with others. So I'm wondering, Harold, um, what 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 would be two things that people could try to build their uh, active listening? Well, I would just say, I would say to um, anyone who is a um, a team leader, but you don't even have to be a team leader. You could be a peer of a person who's just trying to work through something. Sometimes people just need someone on the other side of the table in a chair sitting across from them to just play their thinking out 
And so what I say to leaders is before you go into a conversation where a person really is trying to get to a different place in that conversation, just ask them, how would you like me to listen in this conversation? I can listen as a valve. That is, you can just, sometimes people just need to ventilate. They're frustrated. They are mad about something. They are, you know, they just, just need to get something off their chest. And very often we can just sit across from another person and just say things like, you know, that must be rough. That must, you know, that's not, wow, wow. I can just imagine what that would feel like, you know, and just where you're just basically allowing them to get things off their chest. We can listen to reflect and listening to reflect is I'll serve as a mirror um, to you. And so what I'll do is listen to you. And then every now and then I'll just play back to you what I'm hearing to see if that is reflective of what you're really thinking. And that can be very, um, very helpful um, to a person to listen to them in a reflective mode. You can listen for assumptions, which is um, uh, I, I will listen and, uh, and at the end of, of this particular part of your uh, conversation, I'll play back to you any assumptions that I think you may be overlooking that may be important in that respect there, that you're making assumptions about what customers want or what team members need or those types of things. Um, you, uh, you Sometimes you can listen as the contrarian, which is, um, I'll play the opposite view. Would you like me to listen as the person on the opposite side of you? If you're going into an important presentation or even a debate, would you like me to listen as the person who is likely to counter and, and bring what I have from that vantage? Uh, you can listen for balance. Sometimes people are big picture and they need a, sometimes people are real big picture, sometimes too big picture, and they may need you to listen for more of the detail and to bring their thinking back into that space. And then sometimes people are too detailed and they may need you to listen for the bigger picture where you can pull their perspective up a bit more. And then finally, listening for the system. The system is that, you know, there's a decision that we make here uh, in this space today will have ramifications for multiple stakeholders across the course of the next several years. And so would you like me to listen for the broader system to anticipate where there may be things we should be more proactive around? Those are some of the ways, Anna, that I think um, uh, people can certainly listen more effectively, particularly in leadership roles. So those are six really tangible things that we can all try uh, to improve our listening, to improve our understanding and improve our connection. Uh, we've run out of time. Uh, so thanks so much, Harold, for taking the time to share your insights and knowledge with us. So thank you very much for, for coming on Books at Work. Thank you so much, Anna. I really appreciate the opportunity to meet you and have enjoyed our time together and look forward to hearing the broadcast. On to the Empathy Take 5. 1. Empathy is connection, based on your willingness to understand another's perspective, without judgment, and taking action to make a positive difference. 2. Head. Suspend judgment, be fully present, Track your thinking, track their thinking, and understand even if you don't agree. Three, heart. 
walk in their shoes, emotionally understand what's going on for them, feel what they're going through, but don't fix it. Four, hands or action. Compassionately sit with another person, make space for them, particularly in this world with lots of distractions. And five, practice active listening. Can you listen as a valve? To reflect, listen for assumptions. As a contrarian, listen for balance, or listen for the system. That's our Books at Work Empathy episode done and dusted. Remember to give me your feedback, follow Books at Work on Instagram, or subscribe on booksatwork.co.nz. I'm Anna Hughes, and that's Books That Work, making work better.